Hey, I'm not gonna be a real patient guy now. Huddle up, huddle up. You know what? You're like my wife when you get in space. You just get lost. We're not posing for football cards now, offense. We're not posing for football cards. Let's play with some speed. Just get north and south. You're not Billy White Shoes Johnson. How stupid are we? Are you out of your mind? Are you out of your skull? Well, call it on Tom Brady, will you? Call it on those guys. I've never seen that in my life. Do it again. Do it again. Ho, 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 ho! Santa Claus is here, huddle up! You gotta build the foundation, man. That's what we're doing here. Raider Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Behind the Eye Patch podcast, brought to you by your humble self, Micah, and the face behind the silver mic, Tyler. Partner in crime, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's been a long time lurking in the shadows, watching uh, horrible things happen in the off season. <laughs> I think. Yes, indeed. But uh, what do I know? I'm just just a podcaster. But uh, yeah, it's been a long off season already. It seems like we kind of quit because uh, I was tired of losing ways. I was just tired of yep. watching yep. the Raiders lose over and over and over again and so we kind of took a hiatus but we're back we've been creeping in the shadows creeping isn't maybe the best word but lurking watching ready to pounce upon prey taking souls on twitter uh things like that we've been here just not here here right right well we've had a lot of stuff going on i Moved all the way across the country from Idaho to South Carolina uh, here about a month and a half ago. Um, also, if my voice sounds funny, I had one of my front teeth removed. That uh, that actually had to be done. It's been a dead tooth for about 10 years. Got knocked out in high school and uh, finally needed a more permanent solution. So I have a gap in the front of my uh, chiclets right now, Tyler. And, um, you know, at first I was a little self-conscious about it, but now I kind of just wear it proudly. I'm just like, you know, whatever. I just Hey, you moved I just to walk the dirty around. south. That's, that's a good thing down there. That's normal. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here. But, uh, you know, I I, uh, I just walk into stores, go to restaurants now without the tooth. And, uh, yeah, it's just whatever. I learned to live with it. But hopefully here in a couple months, get the permanent fixture back in place there get the pearly white smile back up and running whatever i don't know we aren't joined by the lusty voice of birch this week um we're having a contract dispute yeah we are he's holding out for more money really after they let after the raiders did the most shocking thing and let hudson walk out the door which was a mutual parting of ways which is understandable to be honest with you um that was kind of the straw that broke Birch's back, you might say. And and he has he has said he's had enough. Um, he too, though, still lurks in the shadows of Raider <laughs> news and and everything. We just have to coax him back out. Tyler, I'm not I'm not quite sure how we're gonna do that. Um, he wants a pay raise, and we've pretty much said no to that. I have um, a I have a business trip with him this weekend, so uh, there we go. We're, I'm taking him out to the lake. Hitting, hitting a, uh, an unnamed lake, and uh, we'll see if I can't work a little, uh, a little negotiation magic 
on him, see if we can't get the lusty voice of Birch back with us sometime this season. I'm not making promises, but I am going to try my best to, to get that lusty voice that you all love and crave so much back on the show. It just may take a few fish in and and uh, some good food, and, and perhaps he, he'll be back. You know, it's it's like what Gruden said about Khalil Mack. We're going to do everything we can to get him back in the building. Right. And we all saw how that worked out. It worked <laughs> out fantastic. So. Hopefully the lusty voice of Birch will be much more successful than Khalil Mack was. <laughs> hey Anywho, we're going to get into all that, break it down. We'll break down as much as we can. We might have to spread some of it out, though, to another podcast, Tyler, because we have just a fantastic, a phenomenal interview. Dare I say the best interview we have had in the going on three years of the podcast um, with a very informative gentleman, really perfect timing with the draft coming up here in a week and a half. And I don't know about you, Ty. I just said, let's just get right into it. Do you want to jump into the interview yeah, right now? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, here, awesome. I'm just going to give him a, a, another plug because he deserves it. Uh, the gentleman's name is Matt Waldman. He is the founder of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, a.k.a. RSP, which is an in-depth film analysis of NFL draft prospects. And he puts a little bit of a fantasy football spin to it as well. He does skill positions only. You can find him online. His website is mattwaldmanrsp.com. But uh, yeah, let's jump into that um, interview, Micah, and we'll hit some points afterwards. Raider Nation, we are super excited to have Matt Waldman on the show with us today. Uh, writer for Football Guys, senior staff. He also has a YouTube channel, RSP Film Room. Go check him out on YouTube. Covering the draft, covering the development of college players into the NFL. He's the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which I have recently purchased, and it is a fantastic buy for all of the NFL draft gurus out there. Matt, man, we appreciate you having me on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a nice Friday, and getting a chance to talk Raiders football is going to be a lot of fun. No, we appreciate you, man. We appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I want to start off by this. You, uh, I, 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 want to, I want to give a plug to this because it's something that um, not a lot of people do, and it's your rookie scouting portfolio. Now, folks, this isn't just – this is a scouting portfolio, but this is over a 1,000 pages worth of scouting information, and I was blown away. It's, it's like 20 22 bucks to purchase. It is – you get – honestly, I'll tell you, Matt, I, I, it's – for 22 bucks, you get way more than $22 worth of information, in my opinion. And, and every kind of analytical thing that you are looking at from the wide receiver to tight end, running back, quarterback position, you cover it all. And I was blown away. I, I sat down and I read about 60 pages so far. And, and I'm kind of skimming, browsing, you know, looking at some favorite players and stuff. And it is very, very in-depth. That's what blew me away. What got you started down this? I got to know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the. it's so funny because, to be honest with you, the people who are who, who are new to it, I, I use a tagline now. I literally say I've been pleasantly shocking readers since 2006 because 
people it's one of those i know people tend to buzz give a lot of buzz or hype to things and i i've kind of come to learn and i think people come to learn with this product that no matter how much hype you give it you're 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 surprised when you see it and 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 there's also a post draft that i do in a newsletter that comes with that price so you actually get a post draft afterwards that goes into fit but i got started into this because i was in an I was in operations management and quality management and I was a big football fan and I did some writing. I used to do some journalism and, you know, both in college and both freelance work and a lot of freelance writing work. I got into fantasy football, um, decided, you know, as I was playing in leagues, realized that I, I, at, at that time, even I felt like I had a little bit of a knack for being able to see spot rookies and I kind of enjoyed that whole thing. I wasn't a huge college football fan. I was always a pro fan but realized that maybe this is something I could continue to do. And I realized that I had this training in best practices for how to evaluate performance with employees. And the way that practice works is you're, you're really learning how to ask the right questions so that you get yes or no answers about what you're looking for, because that's very important. It reduces variation in terms of how you do things. It's like, if you ask 10 people how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you'd get like, eight or nine different ways of how to go about doing that. (laughs) And so, and we all have different experiences with how that goes. So when you're trying to scout a player, you want to make sure that a, you're isolating what that player can and can't do. And for me, the important part was making sure that they're putting themselves in position to make a, have a positive outcome. Doesn't mean they have a positive outcome, but it's more important that you find a player like Matt Forte, who might be like way back in the day who played LSU's, defensive front that was a national championship caliber unit and everybody on LSU could outlift everyone on the Tulane team except for one guy on the offensive line and Forte only averages 1.9 yards per carry and you could still score him and if you score it right you're going wow this is a really good player even though he had an awful game so I I used that type of technique and it builds on itself as you learn more about football so I literally spent my first 10 years like playing I spy, like you play with your kids, but with football, like what, what, everything that happened pre-snap, everything that happened post-snap, I used to write it all down. I mean, in a madman sort of fashion. And then as I discovered that my questions didn't fit what I was trying to get the answers to, I reformulate the questions, you know, and that's what this process was about. So over the span of years, you know, I was, I built my football knowledge, not only through that, but then through realizing I need to read some more books from coaches on how to release from the line of scrimmage as a wide receiver. So now I'm, you know, doing that. And then I'm getting feedback from scouts because scouts started seeing this and they're like, this process is great. Like your scouting's pretty good for a guy who's getting started. You're not going to be comparable to a 40 year veteran doing this, but I got contacted by scouts who were like, your process is fantastic. It's way ahead of what the NFL does because you're trying to reduce variation, like the whole peanut butter sandwich story. And keep doing this. And so I started getting more advice from people and they were, you know, who were in the league and they also were like, because of your business background, they were like, I thought maybe you had been in the league because the way you identified dynamics that happen that go, that are behind the curtain, uh, you, I know you've got people telling you that that's not how that works and that you have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm telling you, 
you know what you're talking about, even if you were never in the league, because I thought you were in it because you identified wow. things repeatedly perfectly. And I said, it's just because businesses put their pants on the same way, you know, right. as everybody else. And the same failings happen, you know, in industry, regardless of the industry. So I've been doing this for 16 years now. Um, it's become, it, although I only focus on four positions because that's the, the time I have. Um, when you look at it, I cover 150 players and in so much depth in what I'm doing that that's all the time I have to do. Um, and, but they, it's gotten to the point that, you know, I've been told by college recruiters are like, this is when I meet with NFL scouts and they have, um, independent draft guides that they use to cross check themselves and to learn more about the players and things like that. The RSP is one of the two more popular ones that I often see come through on a daily basis. Um, so That's I'm amazing. really, I'm really honored to have that happen. And I've, you know, and I try and apply it with both a draft Nick, you know, standpoint of really deep in football, but still give you some fantasy stuff as well, because I came from that, that space and say, here's some fantasy advice, but you can see the difference. So it's not so blended in. You can kind of go, okay, here's at the bottom, what my fantasy advice is, but you can learn about the, about all the techniques and concepts of the game for these positions. Wow. That, that is, that is so cool that you've taken something that you didn't realize that you were naturally good at. And you've been able to, through the process of just study and having an inquiring mind and go, look, I want to know more about this. You, you got good at something that maybe you would have even known that like, Hey, I've got a real knack for this, like a green thumb, so to speak for, for evaluating this kind of talent and be able to kind of, like you said, it might be 10 different ways to do a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but I'm, I'm going to narrow it down to like, you know, how we're going to see this whole thing come together and how it should come together. So that 16 years under your belt, that that's incredible. And uh, like I said, just reading this over thousand page report, and we're really upset that there's only 150 players that uh, you only have time to get to. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's I, I'm, I'm reading wide receivers on this list that I'm like, wait, I haven't seen that name before. Like, okay, now I got to go. Now I have to go look and do some research because like, I haven't seen this. You know how it is in, in the social media world, it, which is mostly what dominates the football world when it comes to news and such. There, there's a list of usually at each position about maybe no more than about 12 to 15. It seems like players that everybody gloms onto, those players that you think are going to go within the first you know few rounds, say one through three. But really it's the it's the I feel like it's the teams that are able to to stretch the whole draft and be able to pluck the Tom Brady's in sixth rounds and those kinds of players uh, uh, deeper into the draft that it seems like they just they find the more success. So that's really what this rookie scouting portfolio allows you to do. And if you're a fantasy football fan, I feel like it's a must have then because I'm reading some of this stuff where you're breaking down like the production of wide receivers from rounds one, I mean, for throughout the whole rounds, but like round one through three, there are a lot of wide receivers. It's like, there's not a massive drop off what I'm looking at from wide receivers that are taken in round one to the wide receivers in round two and three in the NFL draft. And like that kind of blew me away because you think of that top tier and then you kind of think of everybody else. That's kind of the natural mindset when you're looking at the draft and everything. I mean, everybody watches the first night of the draft, right? And then after that, it's kind of like, well, you know, I'll catch, you know, read it in the next day's paper who we took or whatever. But that's that, those are the kinds of things that, for the more inquiring mind football player, this person that just like wants to gain more knowledge of the game, 
Um, and like you said, there's something fun about finding that diamond in the rough, finding that player that you're like, I think this guy, you know, sure. Like in these three games, he doesn't have mind blowing numbers, but look at who he was going against and look at, you know, his, look at the quarterback who was throwing to him. This is a really good wide receiver. He just has a really trashy quarterback, you know? So, so bear with me here. This guy's going to be good. And then watching that pan out and you've got a list of players here that have, that have, that I'm reading or that I've kind of written down here. We'll get to that later, hopefully um, of that. Maybe weren't the big names, weren't the CD lambs or the, but they're, they've developed and that you see now, um, uh, even though you, you, you draw that comparison from, look, these, these guys weren't on the best teams in college, but now that they have a Tom Brady or an NFL caliber quarterback throwing to them, watch these guys, guys explode and it helps, the average football fan identify that. I think that's what's so cool. Average football fan can start identifying that and kind of learn that process and kind of carry that mindset into the college and the NFL game. So um, with that being said, Tyler, I'm going to let you kick this off because I've done most of the talking to start the day. Uh, what's the first question we have for Matt? Because I've got a bunch of stuff written down. We've got a limited amount of time. Take the floor for the first one, man. Okay. Well, I, I too have enjoyed... I very briefly got to look at the, uh, the player. I, I can't remember the exact verbiage. I'll call it the player almanac. How's that uh, <laughs> of the, of uh, Matt's stuff. And it, it is great. A lot of it. I'm like, I need to do some more research so I can understand <laughs> what this is saying. Uh, but it, it's been great. Something that uh, Micah touched on briefly was trashy quarterback play. Oh no. Now, Oh no. This is going to this is going to ruffle feathers, but I want I want the truth. Matt, you are a QB guy. I talked with you on Twitter a little bit. I asked you we're probably going to ask you or I told you we're probably going to ask you a little bit about Derek Carr. Now, you sent me two articles. I think one was like his rookie season, which was 20, I think we're going on 20, that was 2014 if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 2014 when he was drafted. And, and your evaluation of him then was like, this guy's got the tools. Then you sent me another article that was saying, you know, he's progressing. This is good. What are your thoughts on Derek Carr? Can he, does he have the tools to lead the Raiders to the promised land? And by the promised land, I mean a Super Bowl. I'll take the playoffs at this point. Uh, can he do that? Is, is that in his wheelhouse or do we as a um, organization need to start looking elsewhere for someone to lead us to the playoffs? Cause we haven't been there in a long time. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not. We've been kind of <laughs> trounced upon recently. Well, for the past 20 years, <clears throat> but anyways, is Derek Carr, can he be the guy for the Raiders? Take it away. Yeah, certainly. And and one of the questions you met, and it's funny, one of the things that you mentioned also about the, the RSP was some of the, the details there. Usually in the past, I would kind of glom over some of those details that you might go, I need to look up some of these things, but I've had more time to write. What you'll see in future RSPs too, where I may explain a little bit more of that stuff um, down the line, because I used to not share it and I would like just make it easier to, to consume in that way. But because I've changed my process a little bit, I ended up showing a lot of details that I normally don't show. Um, 
But when it comes to Carr, yeah, I mean, I, I look at quarterbacks this way. You have you have your star quarterbacks. You have your average. You have your starters who are you know somewhere the slightly above average to slightly below average. Then you have guys who you're basically looking at and saying, we need to replace this guy as soon as we can get an opportunity. And to me, it doesn't come down to anything more than about five to seven plays per game because most quarterbacks can do most of the things you're asking them to do when they get into the NFL in terms of they can read basic types of coverage, they can have a good drop game, they have a decent, you know, mechanics. But in those, there's moments in every game where defenses basically create something in terms of game plan or discover something in terms of tape study where they say, you know what, we're going to paint the quarterback in the corner for these five to seven plays, and we're going to risk something here to do that. And the best quarterbacks, you know, maybe 50 to 70% of the time can work their way out of that corner and make the defense pay for what they tried to do the above the average slightly above average to below average maybe it's somewhere between 35 to 55 percent of the time they can do that and it and the value of what they were able to do if they do it once in a big way they might stop the defense from doing it again early in the game or late in the game they make a pivotal play that causes that allows them to win the game and the guys who are replaceable are the ones who have consistent trouble being able to do it even like a third of the time. Um, and so when I look at Derek Carr, to me, he's in that average category. And to me, that's like, you're going to have some plays where he can make a team pay early. And, and if he does that, they'll let off or he can do it late on occasion, but you also have games where he's unable to do it. Um, and I think what that tells you a lot about Carr when I've watched him over the years is that, you know, you see him at, you know, this, this year, you saw him work downfield with a lot of confidence with some players and let it go work up for grabs, like with Henry Ruggs. And you saw some, some moments that were really strong in that degree. Same with Nelson Aguilar. Mm -hmm. um, you saw him move through the pocket and be able to find guys and work with some young or less or players he's less experienced working with and be able to find them in the open zones. And they were communicating rather well. And, you know, he's also been a, done a good job being confident of targeting Darren Waller, even more so in situations where it's in tighter windows of zone and throwing the guy open. So I like the progress that Derek Carr has made, but I think when you look at his ceiling, he's a guy that's going to need the team to be very good you know, a very balanced team offensively and defensively for him to be able to take them to that promised land. He's not the franchise guy that's going to do it on his own. He's not going to suddenly turn into Aaron Rodgers or Steve Young or, you know, anybody like that. But he's not at the same time. To me, if people were calling for Marcus Mariota, well, you're going to need to wait a little while because if you – if they take Marcus Mariota and put him into that, um, he had a nice game when Gar Carr hurt his groin. But you have to remember the defense wasn't even prepared or game plan for him. And usually right. what happens is that Mariota is what I call a task-oriented quarterback. And task-oriented quarterback, Tom Brady is the best task-oriented quarterback ever because he's like my buddy Mark Schofield who writes for me as a former quarterback. He's like a baker. Everything has to be precise. 
Every measurement has to be precise. The oven has to be on the exact temperature that you need it to be for everything to work out. And you have to account for every detail and it has to be planned. And Brady's great at that because he can be like, well, the oven's not going to 400, you know, going to 400. It's set at 401 and I can't get the knob to be any different. But remember, Bill, in back in 2004, when we baked this piece of bread where we put a, a drip plant, a pan in there of like cool water and it like brought the oven temperature down just long enough so that we could bake this thing and it wasn't like overdone. Brady has that kind of capacity. Mariota's a below, slightly below average guy in this way. So what happens is in the pocket, when deep defenses throw things at him that they know he has trouble with based on film study from years, he short circuits. And you can see him kind of robotically doing things from one step to the next. And you're like seeing the gears clicking with his game where it's like next step, next step, next step. And if the next step gets foiled, he can't see beyond, you know, what's going on in that, in that very little step. Derek Carr to me is a more um, creative quarterback. I still think he's on the average level of that. So you're not saying he's Brett Favre or Russell Wilson in terms of those guys, but he's a guy that can create on the move. There are some moments where pressure can cause him to short circuit at times um, because he may take some wild chances, but he's matured through that. And I think that he's a better, you know, he's a tough athlete. He's a guy that I do think, you know, he may not be, you know, there's always going to be someone better. You know, there's always going to be someone better that fans right. are going to be like, we if we could get Deshaun Watson before what happened with Deshaun Watson this this offseason, that would be attractive. If we could get Russell Wilson, that would be attractive. There's always going to be somebody like that. But with him, what you have is it's kind of like Carson Palmer when Carson Palmer got injured, but was still after he got hurt and he came back, he was still pretty darn good but not great. And I think Carr is advancing to that level where he's, if you can, the offensive line is good. You've got young receivers. You just don't have that primary guy who can do everything yet. You've got a great back in Josh Jacobs, you know, who I wish he got the ball more as a receiver because he can catch the ball. Um, mm -hmm. And that's interesting how they don't use him all that way. But if the defense could step up, if they could get more defensively and become a defensive powerhouse and run that ball, and be in better game situations for Carr to dictate, especially with the play action game. He's yes. very good in play action. Mm -hmm. And he's, and you saw last year, he improved a lot. He had more throwable passes that weren't short in the deep game. And he was attacking in ways where the leverage of the defender may have been a up for grabs throw, but he read the leverage correctly and was like, the defender's back is to me. And I can throw this up even into the defender and let Henry Ruggs go up and win the ball or Nelson Aguilar or Brian Edwards, hopefully one day, you know, or Waller. He show he's showing that confidence. So to me, the answer is if you want a franchise quarterback, he, he ain't it. But in terms of like a top guy, but if you want to, if you want a quarter, this quarterback is the guy that until you find that next top guy, he can help this team and he can be good enough to help you get there. And, and you're just going to have to cross your fingers that the defense can't over or opponents can't completely take away what the Raiders do to force Carr to be the guy to carry it on his back. Cause you'd have to kind of flip a coin on depending on the week and with the situation to determine whether he can be the one to, to make it happen. That, it almost that... sounds like, 
you've listened to our podcast before (laughs) is what it sounds like because Mike and I have been preaching that I, we started this podcast, like this is going on our third season, I do believe. Yes. And, uh, it's, it's always struck us exactly what you just said. Carr is good. He's not great. He needs things around him to be productive. He needs a great offensive line. He needs great wide receivers. His defense, I will be the first to admit, has stunk like pretty much the whole entire time he's been there, which I do feel bad about. But then I look at other quarterbacks. You mentioned Russell Wilson. Very poor defense this past year. They still made the playoffs. It's a different caliber of quarterback. He's not a Russell Wilson. He's not an Aaron Rodgers. They they can seems like they can lead their teams to more victories without as much help. But yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more with what you said on that analysis. And you mentioned a couple names that I wanted to bring up, if that's okay with you, Micah, unless you've got something yeah, else. Go for it. Um Rugs and Edwards. I really was not loving the the Henry Ruggs, the third pick last year. I liked CD Lamb. I liked Jerry Judy better. Um, I liked an article you sent me, Matt, about Brian Edwards. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs, if you could lump those two together. Do you think they have better years now that we actually have an off-season program, hopefully now that uh, COVID stuff has kind of calmed down? Um, give, give us your thoughts on Ruggs and Edwards real quick. Sure. You know, I had CD lamb as my number one receiver by a pretty good margin last year. Um, and I was really excited about him going to Dallas as much as I'm not a Cowboys fan, but he, I thought that was a great fit for him, you know, in terms of what they want to do with him with scheme Judy, I had as my third guy and rugs was my fifth guy, just above under Justin Jefferson. Um, and then Edwards, I had actually two spots below that as my, as my seventh guy who I was very excited about. So with rugs, you know, obviously what you saw with him early on ability to attack the ball, win it with confidence, pull the ball away in difficult situations, the speed, obviously some after catch ability. I saw some potential with him when it comes to defeating press coverage. He shows some techniques that even against top defenders, he can execute. He's just got to learn more of them and become more prepared. And that comes with experience and tape study and reps that you're not getting when you had the COVID issues that was going, that were going on. And one of the things that I had written, and it was funny because I was reading up on what some people, what, you know, Mayock was saying and Gruden was going to say about rugs before this show. And, and they said his breaks need to get better. Like his getting in and out of his breaks, he needs to get faster on that. And so I looked at my scouting report and sure enough, what was funny is I I was reading it and it was like, there are plays on his tape from the past two years where he's slow in and out of breaks on underneath routes. And Mm -hmm. so he's got to become more multidimensional with his route running to be a primary guy or a guy that isn't just an outside or RPO or crossing route guy. Um, Hopefully, working with John Brown in the fold, you know, he can, he can get a little bit of help with that, with Brown being a veteran and coming in the league, a speedster, much like rugs. Um, so hopefully that will be 
um, helpful in that regard. But I think he can get there. We just, and it's one of those things that you got to give him more than one year just because we're seeing, you know, oftentimes we think just because we saw CD Lamb great or we see Justin Jefferson be great, you know, that suddenly now, or T. Higgins playing well, that suddenly now with rugs kind of appearing and disappearing, that he didn't work out. We have to remember that it took Devontae Adams a few years to become the best receiver in the league. You know, when he came out of Fresno State playing with Derek Carr, he was basically a fade route guy who could get deep and run after the catch. Wow, that kind of sounds like Henry Ruggs in some ways, just without as much speed. And and Ruggs is a little smaller. But I, you know, that's where I am with Ruggs. I think we he may never get there as being the all-around primary guy. I hope he does. Um, but we're gonna have to see him really develop the routes that he can run inside and be that secure guy as for Edwards listen um I thought he what he did in camp and how that people were excited about him was what I was more thinking could happen like that was the that was what I saw out of Edwards is that the the biggest inconsistency with him was um his hands early in his career with the Gamecocks like he he had a lot of drops early on in his career and then you saw him get a little bit better as his career went on and i thought his last year he he shored up a lot of the hands issues that he had um you know for me he had some it's like he had moments of brilliance couched in unforced errors that's kind of what his game has been and so if he can figure out that's always the issue with a lot of players is that they're like they they show greatness and teams see that, but they can't figure out the way to become more consistent with their play. And if he can figure that out, both as a route runner and a pass catcher, you have your primary receiver right now. If he doesn't figure that out, that you're going to have to look somewhere else. He's kind of he's kind of a light switch player rather than a thermostat player right now. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping I believe he'll get become that thermostat guy because the technical lapses with the hand framing, that's something he can correct. The concentration lapses with, you know, dropping passes. Um, I feel like that he was able to fix that, but some of the challenging targets that he had that require more effort to extend with catch radius moments of brilliance, but mm-hmm. also plays where you're like that, that were easier looking that you're like, that should, if you can make this moment of brilliance, you got to be able to catch some of these. Right. Right. Well, and that, that was, I was with you, the Brian Edwards pick. And one thing we've seen out of Derek Carr, it almost seems like he favors the big bodied wide receivers. Again, the type of guy that can make him look good, you know? So one of the guys, Andre Holmes kind of back in the day was at one of those big bodied wide receivers that he'd seemed to love. Um, and he, he has, yeah, yeah, as well. And, and, but I would say Brian Edwards, obviously, I would say a little more athletic uh, than an Andre Holmes. That's one of the reasons I was excited about that pick as well. Yeah. And the thing that I saw in the rugs pick to me, and just looking through uh, when I was reading your, um, uh, your rookie scouting portfolio, uh, you were, you had broken down some of the, the, um, the wide receivers that were taken. And I believe you were referring to it. 
uh, sort of in a, a fantasy football reference, but you were, you were talking about like, look, you shouldn't shy away from wide receivers, even if they're take as long as they're taken by like average quarterbacks, like you're still going to get production out of them. You listed uh, Jefferson, uh, Justin Jefferson, CD lamb, chase Claypool, Levis, uh, Levis Chanel, um, T Higgins and Brandon Ayuk. Um, and when you look at the quarterbacks, you're looking at Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton for a, a majority of the season, Ben Roethlisberger, Garner Minshew in and out, Joe Burrow for a, 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 at least half the season, and Jimmy Garoppolo as the quarterbacks that were that were throwing to these receivers. And and all these receivers, I mean, the lowest number you're looking at, uh, uh, Chenault, I believe, was the lowest one was 600 receiving yards and five touchdowns. Uh, Henry Ruggs has 452 with two touchdowns his rookie season. So to me, that's where, because a lot of Raider Nation, there's this, I almost want to say a disconnect where it's, um, you, they don't want to blame Carr because with Carr is the best quarterback we've had really in a long time, really since Rich Gannon for, so for 20 years, just about, um, uh, but, but you have to look at – so Ruggs, the Ruggs pick, it's like – to me, I didn't look so much at it as, man, Ruggs is bad. As I looked at it more as like – I question more Derek Carr because I'm reading this list of quarterbacks who are throwing to these other wide receivers, and I'm going, why are they making it happen with these other wide receivers? Um, and Derek Carr is not making it happen with Henry Ruggs. So I feel like you're either – who do you blame then? Are you going to blame Derek Carr for not making sure Ruggs gets the ball? Or do you blame Mayock and Gruden for taking a player like Ruggs when you literally had the entire wide receiver class on the board and you could have picked anybody? In my opinion, it's a little bit of both. I, I wouldn't have taken Ruggs there still. I, I think I, st- I, I don't want to Justin Jefferson over Ruggs. And in fact, in one of our podcasts, I joked that watch, we'll take rugs, all the quarterback or all the wide receivers will be there and we'll take rugs. And everybody's like, Oh, don't say that. We wouldn't do that. And well, sure enough. We knew at that point, Matt, that we were toast because the, the Swami had spoken and it was over with. Yeah. And and so I look at that again, as that Testament to what you were talking about and what we've talked about on this podcast, Derek Carr, average quarterback, not, elite by any stretch of the imagination and and i look at a guy like rugs while i do think he's got to get better and obviously wouldn't have been the pick that i you know where i we wanted what what could he have done on another team i mean we'll never know now but looking at some of these other names of, of, of wide receivers that were kind of you know consensus like second and third round picks um topping his production I think there's there's a little bit of blame to lay at the feet of both Carr and the front office, which doesn't bode well as a Raider fan because it feels like there's plenty of blame to go around. But uh, is that how you see it? What 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 would you say to that? Yeah, I think for me, it's part of it too is you got to look at the scheme and think of who are the players that are and how they're used. When you talk about all the players you mentioned, well, Brandon Ayuk on his own is basically a horizontal threat who runs slant routes. Um, and crossing routes. And he's used very well in the 49ers offense. But I think that he's the example of fitting perfectly with what the offense does. 
and not necessarily being a better skilled, a more skilled player. He was just perfectly suited for what they do. When you look at the other players that you mentioned, you know, Justin Jefferson can play inside and outside. And he was in an offense that was very suited to using players inside and outside. And then when you look at, you know, some of the other guys, you know, same with CD lamb, they were going to use him inside and outside and they like to go 11 personnel and with Cooper and Jefferson and Cooper and lamb, you could switch them inside and out and get a ton of production out of them that way. And it was fairly apparent that without a tight end of, that was of note that, that they were going to lean on the slot receiver. When you look at the Raiders, it's like, okay, you've got Darren Waller, who is your top target. And then, and then in addition to that, you have Aguilar who they're not sure what they had in him until the right. summer because he was a light switch player, you know, with the hands and the hands issues. And he had a lights out year. Then. So in addition to that, you then, then you're looking at two rookies and with the type of rookies you have, you have to understand that Edwards came on early and then got hurt. And that never built rugs is a guy that when you, the thing they wanted to do with him is attack downfield to stretch so that they could have a guy like Waller work those intermediate seams in the middle of the field. The safeties had to respect what rugs did. And they used Aguilar in that capacity as well. When they realized that Aguilar was, they realized how effective he was in that role, which left Renfro, who's a, you know, an excellent football player, but may not be a top wide receiver in terms of an athlete but man is he a great route runner and that allowed him to be used in the slot but you have two your two best receivers might be slot players in a sense in waller and and renfro and then your outside guys with rugs the vertical game is just by nature as you guys know better than any team in the league for since al davis was around in the 60s that it's a that is a um, lower percentage play. And as a result of that, it has to come, that rapport has to be built. And that rapport is about ball placement, about timing, about, you know, the route running with the player and understanding the, the position of the defense and understanding where to attack and when to attack. And, and a lot of that is on, that takes time. And when you have a court COVID limited type of season to develop preseason to develop that kind of rapport in the first place. I would say part of it is scheme. Part of it is that it's just the natural evolution between rugs and, and um, car for that to click into place that didn't happen. And the fluidity of how they viewed their receivers from preseason to the season in hand and how injuries changed that and how, what they didn't expect with, um, Aguilar in a way changing that as well so to me it's more of a we could talk about who to blame but I almost want to say that I don't I'd also I'd want to give them a mulligan really give them a pass and say the way the season unfolded you got to give it one more year um, as much as fans always frustrated with that because if you've been waiting year after year with that but to me especially in the vertical game there's just too many variables to look at that and just say rugs isn't the guy when in fact you you know you look at you look at the way justin jefferson was used and if they used i don't think the raiders would have used him in the way 
that he was capable of being used. I don't think C.D. Lamb would have been, C.D. Lamb might have been used the way they, they could have used him because I think they would have said, this is a slot out inside outside guy and they probably wouldn't have pigeonholed him in one way or the other. But when you have, you've got, your, your team to me is like, especially with the receiving core, you have a bunch of pieces, but nothing that ties the entire offense together. Like you don't have that one player. It's not like in Atlanta, they have Julio Jones who, right. you know, for years could he, he presented a threat wherever he did, wherever he went, forced the defense to follow him with their top guy. And then you could use those disparate pieces with real talents to do different, to do different things off of that and be effective. You guys need that one guy who does everything well enough that they're like, we got to put our primary guy and trail him, or we've got a bracket and double cover and, or we've got a really game plan in a way that's going to set these other guys up to their strengths right now. It's like, you've got guys each with strengths, but, and maybe multiple strengths, but not enough th that you can say, you know, they've got, they're not five. You don't have that five tool player, like in baseball, you know, who's going right. to like dictate terms. And until you get that, I think that, you're going to have these issues at this point. Could rugs develop into that? There's a possibility. Could Edwards develop into it? A possibility. But you, you, you know, you, you know, if you're going to be drafting, you'd either, you know, you've drafted these guys high enough that you're invested in them to hope that that happens, that you're in this situation that you're either going to say, I don't believe it's going to happen. And you wipe the slate clean of them and get somebody else. Um, and you draft high once again, which will frustrate you know, fans, or you just say, you know what, we're going to be patient because it's just year one. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a great breakdown of that too, because like you said, it, it was such a last year and I, I, I'm already, well, is it was a very forgettable year last year, as far as with everything that went on, but like you do forget about how, how, I mean, we weren't even sure if there was going to be a season at, at one point. So right. it, it really is like, put that aside Let's look at it this year. And we do, and I've talked about this on the podcast too. It is one of those things that we live in a, and I would just say generally a society where like, I want it right now. You know, it's got to be good now. And, and not, that's just not the case. Oftentimes you've got to, sure. You have those players that come right out and, and like the uh, Michael Thomas, you know, and these wide receivers that come out when they're rookies and they're putting up, and Justin Jefferson, another one, 1,400 receiving yards, that kind of stuff. And you've watched that, and you have to remember as a fan base that is starving for something, anything good, and you watch this happening all over the place, it's like, why can't it happen to us? You know, and especially when you take this wide receiver, why isn't he producing, you know, what he should be producing, what we think he should be producing, what we think that, oh, if we had gotten C.D. Lamb or Justin Jefferson or Judy, like, you know, watch what they're doing at all their teams. Like, we could, that could have been us. Well, maybe, and I, that's a great point to point out the scheme of how they fit in, but then also to look at it and go, okay, just because it hasn't happened right now, does it mean that you need to kick everybody to the curb and, and start over one season? It was one season. Let's let's give it year two. But it's like also with like a Cleveland Farrell type player who we take it fourth overall. And I know this isn't a skilled position, but it kind of we've seen this with the Raiders organization before. We take these players that have 
high, lots of potential. And good character guys. Yes. Big character and big potential guys. And it seems like we reach for those players when it's like, we could have gotten that guy maybe in the second round, maybe even the third line, like a Damon Arnett. Um, And we're tired of watching that reach happen when it seems like you have that proven talent with players on the board. And it's like, why can't we go with a player that has proven talent instead of kind of rolling the dice on this player that's like, well, yeah, but he might be better than everybody else, maybe, because it seems like he has that ceiling. And and that's where it becomes frustrating as Raider fans, because it feels like for about 20 years now, we keep re- we keep going for that potential. Oh, he's got that potential, a lot of potential. And it's like, just give me somebody who's actually really good. Like, right. I'll take it. I'll take it. So anyway, but good, good points on that. And so I'm going to hold off then. Because, I mean, I haven't kicked Henry Ruggs to the curb by any means, but I was definitely disappointed, obviously, with taking the first wide receiver off the board has the kind of production that he had. I'm like, oh, geez, like this isn't – I wish there were more creative ways we could get the ball into his hands, some end arounds. I mean, he's, heaven's sakes, the fastest wide receiver in the draft. Like, let's get him the ball. Um, uh, But, again, that's why I'm sitting here behind a mic talking about it and I'm not, you know, getting paid big bucks to make that stuff actually happen because there's so much more that goes into that that don't, I don't even understand, but I'm learning today uh, that, that, that happens. And we appreciate that. So uh, Tyler, uh, you other skill position players. I've got a couple of players I'd like to ask him about unless you want to go with the next one. Well, uh, I'm wondering rugs uh, Matt mentioned his, his release being not so great. I hear a lot of, Raiders fans on Twitter um, calling for less deep bombs and more, uh, I guess you would say, quick slants, uh, screens. Is it because Ruggs can't get in and out of his breaks quick enough that he doesn't get the ball in those short opportunities? Would that, would, does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah. And I think what, I think what's going on here is that when it comes to like screens and slants, that's not going to be as big of a deal, but it's more the intermediate game. And that's where that's the most important and difficult part of a passing game that has to work. The deep game. I think he showed enough in the deep game where we're like, we know what he can do in those moments. I agree. He can win the ball. The, the screen game, because the way that they like to run the ball and have a fullback and use a fullback and use that West Coast with um, rollouts and play action, you're not going to get a lot of the, the wide receiver screens because that's just not a huge part of that, that game because it doesn't play off the run game as well in the way the run game set up. So you can do that, and he'll be effective enough. You can do some more of that with him, and I'm sure they may look in the ways that, that, they, that they can. But really what enforces the linebackers to, and safeties to have to account for the, the play action and also be in a bind is when you have a receiver running dig routes, you know, that are 15, 17, 12, 15, 17 yards down the field, breaking inside, over routes, breaking inside, comeback routes that come back up that, that where you you believe that they're going to be running a post or running a go route. And then you make that hard break and get back and the ball's right there or the deep out. And those plays put the safety and cornerback into communication binds and zone. 
on, and it creates scenarios where, as a result, you can get more out of your play action game. But if your receivers and their timing games that require you to also read the defense and understand what op, what run routes you run based on what the defense is doing, and you have to be on the same page with the quarterback for that to happen. So if you don't get a lot of practice reps, if you're not getting a lot of game experience, and you're in a West Coast offense with these options, you know, of this, if the safety's here or the linebacker's here or the corner's playing outside shade here and the triangle of the safety, the cornerback and the linebacker is such, you're going to be running a post instead of a, a corner route, or you're going to be running a dig instead of a post route, or you're going to be running um, a hook route instead of a go route or a comeback route instead of a, instead of a go route. And I've just mentioned probably what six or seven routes that are possibilities based on what all the coverage is doing. And the quarterback knows what to do because he's been there since 2014 and has been, and also studies this every day since, and they're the, the, it may not be the same scheme that Gruden had, but he's used to that and knows enough with, and he's been with Gruden for at least a, a few years now. So he knows what to do. And now that you have rugs coming in and, and, Edwards coming in there outside guys who have to make those determinations themselves and have limited reps to be on the same page with Carr by spotting what the coverage is doing late pre-snap or early post-snap that stuff takes more than a season for mm -hmm. most guys unless and you're just yeah I mean and so as a result of that that's part of the the bigger the problem is that intermediate game like think between 14 and about 14 and 35, 40 yards. Like that's the over 40 yards. Look, it's about speed and winning the ball and timing that can get better, but it's more about reading this simpler reads. A short game, they're quick enough that it's not a big deal, but it's those routes where he has to tell enough of a story to kind of say, I might be running the post, but I'm actually going to be breaking, you know, to the outside or, looking at as you're running the route, you know, releasing off the line against off coverage or zone and reading how the safety reacts or the linebacker drops going, I was going, you know, the first thought was we're going to run a dig here, but based on what he's doing here, we're actually going to run a hook and, and break it back to the inside um, shorter. Those are things they have to be on the same page with. And that's kind of the, the lost details that Ruggs has to master. And that's why I'm saying give him a little more time or him and Edwards a little more time because that's the kind of stuff that just, you know, with this deep, this offense, especially Gruden's offense, that receivers have to be really good at. I could go off on a, a million yeah. <laughs> other tangents on what you just said, but Micah, why don't you, I, I know we're kind of running short on time. Micah, why don't you hit him with uh, the players that you had in mind? Well, I had a couple, um, and I, I've watched a couple of videos, I believe, that you had done. Um, obviously, we're all, well, most of us, I think, are saddened by the release of uh, Nelson Aguilar, especially with the season he had and how how well that, that marriage just seemed to work. Um, and, and I was excited to see two, you know, really, well, really three because you have tight end, but with Aguilar and Ruggs, really this one, two speed punch that I just thought, wow, I mean, you're going to pick your poison on defense, right? I, I was, I was hoping that that would continue, but obviously not. He got himself a big contract elsewhere. Good for him, but um, kind of leaves open 
I think I think the Raiders will go after another wide receiver late in later rounds, which brought me to two names. One of which I, I watched you, Matt, do a little bit of a breakdown on. I believe uh, Trey Walker, wide receiver, wide receiver out of San Jose. Um, being a Boise State fan, I know a little bit about that and and, and getting beat on that end. Uh, and then maybe a guy that might not go in much later rounds, but a, a, a maybe a mid pick. Uh, Powell out of Clemson. I don't know if you've watched the Raiders recently, but we seem to have an affinity for Clemson players. We yep. seems like we just dig into that yep. bag. So oh, yeah. obviously when we saw Powell's name, it was like, Oh, Hey, there's, there's the next Vegas Raider right there as Powell, because it seems like we need another wide receiver um, to kind of fill that role or to, you know, step in. And we've had some other guys that we brought in in the past that just haven't, um, really haven't foot the bill. Uh, so I, I wanted just a little bit of, of, I saw what you did with Trey Walker and I, I read through just briefly where you categorize. And that's another thing, Raider nation, kind of what he does is he breaks down, Matt breaks down the wide receivers by strengths and, and just about every kind of category that you can think of at the skill position. And he lists them and either like starting everything from like a starting caliber all the way down to like, uh, a bench reserve player or undrafted player, or, you know, basically not a chance kind of a thing. And so I appreciated that because there were certain things that you don't just lump it all into one. Hey, I give this guy a B or a C, you know, kind of a thing. It's like, well, okay, this guy just sent things really well. And that's why Trey Walker stood out to me because it was a name that I'm familiar with being a Boise state fan and being in the mountain West. Um, but it's not a name that's going to jump out, but it's a guy that maybe in a later round you might want to look at. So I just want to get your thoughts briefly on both Trey Walker and Cornell Powell and what you thought of them and where you see them potentially going in the draft. And if that would be a viable option, if you like that for the Raiders. Sure. We'll start with um, Trey and Trey was certainly fun to get to watch tape with. And, you know, he's, he's someone that I enjoyed watching his game because he plays very tough at the catch point. He has, He's efficient as a runner. He's quick. He's someone that seems to communicate well with his quarterback. Um, my biggest question with him is, is he going to be strong enough to, to win against press man? And is he someone that is actually quick and fast enough to compete as an all around receiver for, you know, developing into a, a contributor for a team. And I have questions about that. He, uh, you know, after his workout and seeing some of the stuff there, I think he might be a little, he might be a little slow to become a, an every down contributor for a team. And I think he's going to be available as an undrafted free agent and as a kind of a tryout player who could be an overachiever. So I'd say that draft wise, I wouldn't target him. And if he's available, I might consider him for a camp thing because I know that he's a, he's a tough player. He plays hard. He has a real knack for winning the ball. Um, and I think that he might be able to help out maybe on special teams early, and then you could use him as a sub package player in some respects early on. Now I like Cornell Powell a lot more in terms of what he could do for um, the Raiders because he is that receiver that can run those routes in the middle of the field. He has a real good knack for his own coverage and can be that intermediate option who can also get deep for you and be a physical body who can win the ball that, that um, Carr is going to be confident in, in that sense. And he has some skill after the catch. Um, he played on a loaded Clemson team where, you know, there were a lot of receivers who just outplayed him on a day-to-day -day practice level that Dabo Sweeney said the reason he didn't start is he'd have really great days 
Um, but he just couldn't put them all together to overcome guys like Justin Ross, Mike Williams, um, you know, Amari Rogers, um, you know, and I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that he played with who have been drafted into the league. Higgins. Higgins. There you go. T Higgins. So he had a good year, but there's other guys that I'm going to mention real quick that are similar yeah. in Cornell Powell, you know, Josh Palmer out of Tennessee is a, is a fairly physical guy who can do just enough to get deep. He's kind of an Akeem Nix type of player when Nix was at the top of his game with the Giants where you can isolate him one-on-one and, and he can win in the, in the deep game off play action or against on fade routes. But he's also very good in the middle of the field running hooks and curls and running those dig routes and he can give you something after the catch. So he's very good player in that regard Jonathan Adams is a kind of a raw player so again we're going to look at the potential so he's not as ready made as like I think um you know either Powell or Palmer but he might end up being better so we're going to ignore him for a minute because he's got a wide catch radius and he's fast enough and big but you guys don't want any of that and I understand why so another guy (laughs) like so another guy that could actually fit a little bit more if you're just looking for um you know, someone who gives you that, that type of game. Nico Collins is a very physical player out of Michigan who can win up the sideline. He's faster than a lot of people realize. He just played in a Michigan system that they don't throw the ball very well. They just didn't, they haven't been able to get quarterbacks. Um, Which but is weird because their coach is a quarterback. Exactly. <laughs> or former quarterback. Well, that's how it goes. It's always that way. It's <laughs> like you look at the you look at Bill Bell, um, what who was it? Um, Brian Billick, who was supposed to be an offensive master, and he won a Super Bowl with one of the greatest defenses of all time in Joe Flacco. And to yeah. me, I was gonna say earlier, if you put if you put Derek Carr on the Ravens back in that time, he would have won more than one Super Bowl. I think he's a better quarterback than Joe Flacco ever was. I think Flacco's good was good enough, but not, I think, you know, even, even a little bit better there. Um, a guy who also late could be good, maybe not extremely fast, but gives you like a Keenan McCardell like potential because he's very good at the catch point being physical. He runs decent routes and can get better at it. And he has a physical attitude as Brendan Smith out of, um, out of Iowa. Um, He's a nice player in that regard who can work that range of the field. Um, if you just want a technician who's good enough to win outside, can play inside for you and do a little bit of everything, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, he he may wind up just being a, a Sterling Shepard-like player, which is like kind of like a pro's pro workman-like guy, but I think he's got a little bit more than that to his game and might be able to help you out. I'm a, What I'd be afraid of for you guys in terms of players, based on what you're scared of, based on what you've seen, you could be looking at a guy like Jonathan Adams, who I think has lots of potential, but route running, he has to develop. You could look at Seth Williams out of Auburn, who is just incredible at the catch point, has good speed, size, can break tackles, but the light switch goes on and off with his game um, in every single way. And like I've joked that if I could inhabit the body of a receiver in this draft class, it would be Seth Williams because I think, wow. you know, it's not because he's unbelievable as an athlete, but he has all the tools to be very, very good. And he has moments where you watch him and you're just like, if this guy gets it, he could be mm-hmm. Javon Walker. Like when Javon Walker was with the Packers and awesome. Um, you know, another workman like guy later is Damon Hazleton out of Virginia tech. I really liked his game. Very good releases, very good routes, 
tough off Alabama tried to get under his skin and like rattle him. And he had them rattled by the end of the game. He just was underused at Missouri and he was at Virginia tech before that and played really well. And he's been working with pro players since he was at ball state. He's just moved up yeah. each division because they kept saying, you need to play at a higher divi- division and work there. So those are some guys um, who have more size, who can work in the middle of the field, who might be able to deliver for you as that intermediate option who can win deep in, in that, who aren't just potential guys. Because there's a few potential guys in here I could talk about that might blow things away if they put it all together. Well, I now I got I want two names then because I got to know because if we draft one or I want to be able to keep an eye on this, who do you like as those potential guys? Okay, Jalen Camp out of Georgia Tech. He played in okay. a triple option offense and nobody knows about this guy because he played in triple option and they threw the ball maybe three, four, five times a game in his direction <laughs> until last year. Well, this is a 6'2", 226-pound receiver who ran 4'3", has an Moses. unbelievable, and more important, he has unbelievable 40 um, or 20 shuttle and three cone drills, jumped 40 inches, lifted the lifted the bench press 30 times. Guys, 40, it, let me just... Look. Let me just interject there. I'm sorry. Bench pressing, that's 225 pounds. That's not common knowledge among I had to look okay. it up. Yeah. 225 pounds as a wide receiver 30 times. Yeah. The guy I think that did it the most was uh Togi. I think Togi I put up 40 this year. Yeah. I, that is that is nuts as a wide receiver. Holy Moses. Yeah. So when you're looking at a guy like Camp. What you got to understand is this guy has loads of athletic ability and, and more so um, I'm going to, I am very much an aficionado of like tough catches, like guys who have great catch radius and you know, the guys that I've long watched and appreciated, like to me, it would be fun to have a tough catch contest, you know, of like guys who go up and win balls. Like to me, players who I would put on my all time list, obviously Larry Fitzgerald, Brandon Lloyd was a, literal artist at this even though he may not have been uh turned into a great every year receiver his catches you go look up brandon lloyd if you've never seen him and he will make matrix like catches that are some of the most the best you'll ever see among anybody in football um calvin johnson obviously made great catches like that odell beckham you know certainly has made some but i would say all those other players are ahead of odell beckham and people that's what they think of right now Jalen Camp, I've seen him make catches that put him in that range. Wow. Literally one-handed posting up a guy at the boundary, leaping up with one hand and just snaring it with his back to the defender. And you know, because if, you, if you're a Raiders fan, and even if you weren't born during that time, Dave Casper, the ghost of the post, you know, his ability to look that ball in directly over his head, you know, Cliff Branch could do that great too. Those guys, that's one of the most difficult catches to track. Jalen Camp can make those catches up the seam. He can actually track from one side of his shoulder, see the ball heading too too high and going to the other side and literally track over his head to the other shoulder and make the diving play. He He has great hands and great tracking. You can't teach that. You can learn routes. And this is a guy that needs to learn some routes, but he could wind up. He could easily wind up the surprise of this draft, um, Jalen Camp. Another one, 
that is getting a lot of love recently that nobody knows about is a guy by the name of Jacob Harris out of UCF, who's also a 220 plus pound guy. He was a soccer player who walked onto UCF, played special teams, sat behind Gabriel Davis, sat behind uh, Marlon Williams, who's coming out in this draft class, a, n- a couple other receivers. As I watch his game, you can see him learning. Like one thing he was consistently doing, though, was winning the football in the air and showing great fluidity. And he was always winning it in the deep range of the field. So you knew he had some speed, but did he have the quickness? Well, a lot of receivers, when they're learning the game and having to learn all, think through all those option routes and all those different types of breaks and deal with techniques that they're not used to, their game slows down because they're overthinking. They're not playing to the speed of instinct because it's not honed in yet. It's like playing the piano. You know, you learn how to play some scales. And once you've practiced it a million times, you can rip off a scale and it goes very fast. You can play it at that speed. But until you've done that work, it doesn't get ingrained into your subconscious. Well, as you watch him play, you realize that as this game has come along, there's moments that flash where you're like, wow, this kid looks like an NFL starter in terms of athletic ability. And then he'll sink back below in moments where he's still learning. But he worked on his pro day and people thought he might be a tight end. And then they saw what he did in his pro day. And I didn't see the numbers yet, um, but I've heard that people were like, there's no doubt now he's a receiver. Um, and, and it just justified what I saw on tape, which is that this guy's got the athletic ability. He just has to continue to learn. And in a few years, he might end up being a starting wide receiver in this league because he's got that fluid skill, the ball tracking, the strength, the size, um, and the things that are hard to teach. He's already got. Man, I love it. You know, speaking of the Georgia tech wide receiver, we heard that another, another wide receiver had the same knock DK Metcalf, but it was like, Oh, this guy is just, he's a one trick pony. He's big and physical. He, he got all kinds of ground off of that one. There was a post to him working out and everybody saw how, how, you know, massive this guy was and everybody fell in love with that, but Oh, he's not really that good and blah, blah, blah. And, and boy, that sure has turned out pretty, pretty well for Seattle though, so far. Uh, uh, and I believe yeah. he, he fell to the second round, didn't he? Metcalf. I think yeah, he, he was kind of a jet. Uh, I thought he was a consensus kind of a first round guy. Cause he also had, uh, who was the other wide receiver with him there? AJ Brown. Brown. Yeah, AJ Brown. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and then and it get picked up in the second round. And I, I don't know. I, I remember watching a lot of people through social media and just like, the general news people kind of thought Seattle stretched it a little bit there going for Metcalf. They're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe now he's, he's a big player. That's for sure. But he's going to have to learn some stuff. Well, he's, he's done a pretty good job of that. It seems like. Yeah. And I loved him. I loved him there. And the, the thing that people forget, see, when I study players, I study them in two ways, breadth of talent and depth of talent. Breadth of talent is like a resume. You say, here's the requirements for the position. The job is wide receiver. Well, there's a hundred different things that a wide receiver could be asked to do on the field. How many of them can he do? And that's breadth of talent. You know, Sterling Shepard is a perfect example of a guy who has a wide breadth of talent. He can do a lot of things for you. If you need him to get deep on play action, he can do that. Can he play the slot? Yeah. Can he play flanker? He can do that. Can he run after the catch enough? Sure. He, he, can he block? Yeah, he can do all that. Does he show good techniques getting off the line of scrimmage? Sure. Broad stuff. But then there's depth of talent. And depth of talent is really what you need to look at because depth of talent is this guy may only do five things well, but the, he does three of them better than most anyone in the league because, and when you look at DK Metcalf, 
people were looking at him saying, well, he can't run comebacks. He can't run dig routes. He can't run hook routes because he doesn't have that great bend where he can drop to his knee, drop, bend at his knees and drop his hips and come back in and out of his breaks really fast. Well, for some teams, that might not work out very well. He might not be a great fit. And with some teams, they might go, we're looking for a receiver who can play a ton of plays in every game and run all these different types of routes, but he doesn't have the body type for that. But what you do have with him is that he has lightning fast hands that are heavy, like a boxer. And when he's when he decides to swat off the line of scrimmage, he's going to knock a guy 30 to 45 pounds lighter than him on his butt if they if they try to disrespect him that way. And on top of that, he has great speed and strength and win, wins at the catch point. So really, if you're in an offense that plays play action and you're going to have him run a certain number of routes, and you also have to understand that because these receivers are so uh, these cornerbacks are smaller than him that. They may, you may say, well, he's not going to be able to run these routes. So receivers are going to be able to jump his routes. No, because if they play him tight and he smacks them hard enough with that, those lightning quick, heavy hands, they're going to be knocked off balance. And it doesn't matter whether he can bend that fast or not, because the receive <laughs> the cornerback's still recovering from that and, <laughs> and is not in a position to be able to jump the route. And if they're playing, and if they're playing short enough on the off coverage end, well, if they jump the route too early, he's going to blow by them because he has the top speed. So really they have to give him this healthy cushion. So even if he bends like a 50 year old man, like me, you know, <laughs> they've given him so much room and he's so fast that it doesn't matter because he compensates for that. And that's what people don't understand is that they try to apply every combine drill and every time like the same way to every player. And you have to understand what the player's strengths are to compensate for that. Like Dalvin Cook's a good example of a running back who doesn't make a lot of jump cuts. He, you, you'll see him literally when he's changing direction, he's like pistons of an engine where his feet like do this before he changes direction right. or he curls around. That's called curvilinear movement. Um, there's a movement specialist by the name of Sean Miska who coaches like Everson Griffith and other top pass rushers. And he coined this term curvilinear movement. And that's how you, it's like a motorcycle taking a, a hairpin turn, like a racing motorcycle and you bend around at a top speed and don't lose much acceleration. Dalvin cooks great at that. When you watched all the analytics people in the media were, who were against Dalvin cook because they were like, He's too slow. He's not quick enough. He doesn't have these cutting ability because his three cone drill isn't great. His 20 shuttle isn't great. His vertical jump isn't great. What they didn't realize is that none of those things fit how he runs. So if you're, you're like, of course it's not because, but he's not going to cut. He's going to bend around you. He's got uh -huh. contact balance. He's got vision. All those things translate in the way that you do it. So that's the difficulty of scouting is that it's easy from an armchair standpoint to go, this guy's not going to be any good because these things apply this way. And you got to go, no, it's more of a craft than that. You've got to learn how these things apply to that player or if they even apply at all. And, and that's where Metcalf, you know, shined and why people missed on him. That's epic. That's uh, Matt. We, we appreciate all this. This is incredible. And, and again, Raider nation, you want to get more in depth in this, the rookie scouting portfolio, go check it out. Matt, you've got links to it on your your twitter handle which uh, where can we can find you on twitter well give us your handle yeah. where else can we yeah. get at you sure at matt waldman it's as simple as that m-a-t-t-w-a-l-d-m-a-n 
And that's where you can find okay. me on Twitter. Um, I tweet things several times a day or just schedule it out with the work that I do at mattwaldmanrsp.com. That's my site. Um, and you've got probably thousands of pieces of content on there that are video oriented type of work. Um, and then, of course, my YouTube channel where a lot of that's housed is Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room, 560 um, uh, videos that range with me doing things three to five minutes long to 30 minutes to an hour long, breaking down plays. Um, I sometimes have guests, my lat, you know, I've had um, guys like Jamal Williams pre-draft reviewing tape with him. Um, you know, his, his trainer requested me to, to do that with him, which was really very cool That's and getting awesome. a chance to break down games with them. And then, you know, the RSP itself, listen, you get, you get a pre-draft post-draft, you get a newsletter updates from June through December. And the best thing about that, I, I kind of want to bring up that's, you know, is in addition to getting all that content about quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends is that I give a percentage of every sale to an organization. And this, and this organization is called darkness to light and they're housed out of Charleston, South Carolina. Um, oh. They are, they are a, an organization devoted to um, preventing sexual abuse of children. Um, and this month is actually sexual is actually a child abuse prevention month. Um, we've already given $4,000 to them this year. And I've been giving to them about $5,000 a year um, since 2011, um, they're an organization designed not only to prevent it by training, um, you know, civic groups, police organizations, um, universities, preschools, um, baseball leagues, you know, wow. individual adults. They're also designed to help you learn how to help children who've had that happen cope with it and how to handle the situation. Because what research has shown is that the most damaging part of the trauma oftentimes is not the event that happened, but it's actually the people who are trying to handle it and don't handle it well, because mm -hmm. now the child doesn't feel like they're believed. It doesn't feel like that they're safe. They don't feel like they're safe. They feel like, and it's such a traumatic, it's such a taboo topic, you know, and right. a lot of people don't like, you right. know, it's understandable, you know, it's a very delicate topic, but yeah, we've been given to that, and I've been given 10% of every sale up to $5,000 um, since 2011. It's a great organization. Charity Navigator rates them 100 out of 100 in terms of how they handle their business proceeds and how they conduct themselves as a business. So even on that, you're getting some good, you're getting some quality information, and you're given to a good cause. That's awesome. awesome. I appreciate. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. That's great. That is great stuff. And 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 we Raider Nation, great cause, great content all wrapped into one i mean for 22 bucks i mean it's a steal i'm not gonna lie to you i mean i've, I've got imagine sitting down and reading an over thousand page book i know i about the only thing that i ever read that was over a thousand pages was lord of the rings back ah, in my I knew that was coming yeah <laughs> but uh, uh but i guarantee you right now i've been i've been sitting down uh, it's been at my computer but i i've just been reading through this so you'll want to get in on this action Tyler, do you have anything else for Matt before we let him go and, and give him the question of the day? I do. If you have just a minute, Matt, I, I don't know if you need to go. Give nope, me give me two dark horses at our, our running back stable is is kind of full. Uh, we You mentioned Josh Jacobs. We just signed Kenyon Drake. We've got Alec Ingold. Uh, we re-signed Theo Riddick and we have Jalen Richard in the backfield. Give me two sneaky good picks who would fit a Raiders West Coast scheme 
perhaps in the, let's say, fifth to seventh rounds, uh, just two names, two running backs that I should go look at. Sure. It's funny. I actually was a big Jalen Richard fan when he was coming out and I had him ranked fairly high. Um, did you, did you a, notice problems with fumbling? I, yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, Josh Johnson out of Louisiana Monroe. He's a Devonta Freeman type of back. He's about five, eight in the 200 pound range. He's strong for his size, excellent agility, um, has just enough speed to possibly be used as a starter, but, you know, kind of like Devonta Freeman. Um, so he's a very smart back, very physical back, very agile player who can catch the football. Um, so he's one that I think you might be able to keep an eye on. Another one that kind of fits that realm who is proven would be Larry Roundtree out of Missouri, who is also not extremely fast, but very quick, understands how to use his pads, and he's big enough to be a, a load carrier. Um, he has good vision. He can catch the ball. He can improve as a, as a pass catcher. Um, but if, if to me, if Josh Jacobs were to get hurt, Roundtree's the type of guy that could fill in and you'd be like, we're glad we have him, you know, um, even though you may feel like people would nitpick other stuff with them, but those are two right off the bat. Awesome. Thanks. I love it. And ju- you probably don't know, uh, cause you, you've probably not heard of our podcast before, but we always ask a question of the day to everybody, uh, who comes on our show. It has nothing to do with football. It's completely out of left or right field, whichever cool. one you prefer. And Micah has that for us today. Micah, go for it. Everybody's got to answer this. And, and as Tyler said, it's, it's, it's just usually random and off topic, but, um, and it, it's been, a, it's been a minute since we've done our last podcast. Uh, but here you go. I want to know, and I was thinking about this the other day, as I was sitting here munching on, on a delicious bowl of cereal, I want to know what cereal do you still eat that you ate as a child and you can still eat as an adult. There are some things like, I used to love Lucky Charms. I could not eat a bowl of Lucky Charms anymore. I'm like, no, there's no way. However, for me personally, I still love a good bowl of tricks. And it's got to be the classic tricks and all the colors and shapes and everything. And I'm like, I have it for dessert sometimes. If the kids haven't eaten it all, I'm like, oh, man, this is delicious. I loved eating it growing up. I love it as an adult. So, Matt, do you have a cereal out there that you're still eating today that you ate as a kid? Yeah. Um, I was an odd kid. So, you know, <laughs> so, so, you know, I certainly loved sugar smacks and I loved frosted flakes and I oh, loved yeah. alphabets and those were all like my go-tos as a young kid. But I also, I grew up around old people. So I also like <laughs> ate total and product 19 and I liked those, you know, and raisin bran. So I can still occasionally have some raisin bran. Um, okay. no, I don't, I tend to eat oatmeal more and more these days. And I'm, I'm kind of like cool with the oatmeal thing. So, yeah. Okay. That's fair. Tyler, how about you, man? Uh, I'm a Reese's Puffs fan. I oh have been gosh. since I was little and I love those things. I will eat the heck out of a bowl of Reese's Puffs. <laughs> that is yeah, see, excellent. My kids, my, my kids are all grown up. So, you know, my daughter's a Marine and she's in Hawaii right now. And oh, wow. two were in the army and they're, and they're out of the army. Um, but so it's been a while since I've, I've had to deal with cereal. Um, but so my, <laughs> wife, my wife occasionally gets a real craving for, um, for Raisin Bran Crunch. 
So occasionally oh, when I, I have to go to the grocery store and grab some of that because that's my duty right there. So. Hey, you know, Raisin Bran Country, I have to say, they took, because I wasn't a huge fan of the Raisin Bran. I know a lot of people just don't like raisins. I'm a raisin. I don't mind raisins. I think they're pretty good. Mm. But the crunch, taking it to a whole nother level, Raisin Bran Crunch is definitely high on my list as far as when it comes to cereals that are non, like, how sugary for the kids you know what i'm saying i'm like yeah. i'll do a bowl of raisin bran crunch so uh matt uh you said you have three you had two kids in the army and, and a daughter in the in the marine corps does, yeah does that come from you or were you military do you mind just asking no my my dad was air force it's okay. the generation um, my dad was air force my grandfather was navy during world war ii um and he was in germany and in italy wow. and and then also did a little bit of uh, was sailing a little bit more in there and then my um but my my son was in mosul um wow and he was a drone pilot in mosul um and my daughter one of my daughters was is does basically drone analysis and she was out of she was never stationed abroad and my and my daughter chandler who is currently in the marines is a is a corporal who is serving in hawaii and she's a drone pilot as well um, wow so yeah there you go just wow i i maybe it's it's either and it's funny because i'm not the kind of guy you would think that would that would have been a part of raising you know military kids <laughs> um which is either maybe that's why they're in the military but no um <laughs> but they all she was a fashion design major um wow and did sewing and was close to doing stuff where she was going to be in a major house and decided i don't want to do this anymore and always like math and was thinking maybe engineering, maybe mathematics. And then it was like, I don't know what I want to do. And then finally one day she came home and we were always patient with her about it. Cause you know, she works and she works hard, but, and she was learning other things that are just important life skills that I think you don't, they don't teach you in college. Right. And she right. was always good at that. And so she was like, she was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to join the military. And we're like, what? She's like, yeah. She goes, I just, I'll just put it this way. I know it's a, it's a family show. She said, but I just need to get my bleep together. And I feel like <laughs> that. Uh, and I, and I feel like that uh, I need to do that. And I'm, I'm tired of, you know, not knowing what I want to do. And this is a good way to, for me to figure it out. And we were like, all right. And she did great. She, I mean, she's a little older for a Marine. Cause I think she's like, you know, at the time when she joined, she was 27 and that's not usually when you go, but right. her calls, her, her, her call sign name is Motown. <laughs> and um and she she and she's certainly she's done great from what we've every all the feedback so we're real proud of her and um you know and she loves what she's doing awesome well thank them for their service we appreciate Absolutely. it as always Absolutely. and really quickly before we let you go who's your favorite quarterback in this year's draft my favorite the best one to me still trevor lawrence my favorite is trey lance i'm a trey lance fan oh my and because my favorite my favorite quarterback of all time may not have been a great quarterback of all time though he could have been was steve mcnair and uh and i'm a big steve mcnair like fan it. and he remind he's reminded me of steve mcnair for a while i like it i like it raider nation you heard it here first you have tons of homework to do i know i have tons of homework, I to, have do lots of homework to do <laughs> yeah yeah two what well, we are sitting at about two weeks away from the draft now three weeks away from the draft i mean it's closing in upon us it's your type of season matt i mean you're this is right up your alley you got to be just knee neck deep in it at this point but matt man we really appreciate you coming on the show taking your time giving us the insight 
and we'll catch up with you later. I'm excited to see the post-draft analysis, see what goes down, and we'll definitely be following you, and, and we look forward to more awesome content, man. My, Micah, Tyler, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it, and fantastic show. Our awesome. pleasure, Matt. Thanks so much for, uh, for hitting me back on Twitter. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care, guys. Hey, care. see ya. Thank you, sir. Once again, big thanks to Matt for coming on the show, being with us, especially right now. Yeah, this is his bread and butter time of year, Tyler. I mean, right before the draft, breaking everything down, getting ready to rock and roll, really watching his work pay off in Raider Nation. We just want to give him big thanks again. And uh, I love the names he threw out there, man, to keep an eye on. I, I, I got to tell you, Tyler, I got to go back kind of to the drawing board now and, yep. and, and look up some of these players and get back in on it like we talked about. You know, there's always at each position like about three or four names that kind of pop out all the time. And those are the names that get circulated. But it's really when you can find those diamonds late in the draft, man, in, in the uh, beyond the third round, it seems like is when you can really, I mean, you can really make your get the most bang for your buck, if you will. And absolutely. Um, I mean, what we've is, seen that I was with surprised he knew who Jalen Richard was, right. let alone who he was coming out of college. Right. Right. I mean, I, that was that was a pick. I'll be honest with you. I had to look it up. Like, when we picked him, I was like, wait, okay. We didn't. Oh. He was just undrafted. Right. Right. So, so I mean, there's just so much like that that Matt breaks down. So, Raider Nation, again, th- when you when you purchase this rookie scouting portfolio, not only are you supporting a good cause, but you get more than your money is worth with this. I, Absolutely. I, with a week and a half later, like... I, 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 I guarantee you, Tyler, come draft night, I'm going to have his PDF open on my computer and I'm going to be reading stuff as the draft happens. Like, that's just how in-depth it is and that's how I'm excited I am. It's really kind of the, the, of the I don't know, fan's Bible to the NFL draft, yeah. you might say. So As far as skill positions go, yes, which is as- awesome because there's, I mean... Well, that's Can't the ever fun, have too many right? skill guys. Right, right. And that, I mean, to be honest, let's we'll be honest with you, those are the sexy picks, right? When you pick right. up a when you pick up a guard or a tackle, not and nobody's exactly jumping up and down and hugging each other unless the right. quarterback spends most of his time scrambling for his life, like uh, you know, Mariota did in the early days, like uh, uh who was the quarterback here? Joe couple, Burrow did yeah, last Joe, year. Exactly, exactly. But uh, I mean uh, Picking up a wide receiver or running back a quarterback, that those are sexy. You want to see those big names come to your team. Um, so so go check it out. Get in on this action. You won't be sorry. I guarantee it. I guarantee you it won't be sorry. But anyway, Tyler, I wanted I I, I was blown away because we have talked about Tyler, you and I, and Birch, about the mediocrity of Derek Carr. And I know this is such a hot... Oh, it's, careful. It's such a hot button topic, right? In, this is why Mike had to move to a, an unnamed an unnamed place. <laughs> and I had to move to the middle of an Indian reservation is because we were taking <laughs> slander so bad. Well, and, and it really is because one side of Raider Nation is totally like, it's time to move on. We need to do something else. You know, let's try Mariota. And then there's one side of Raider Nation that is just like... If you're not in on car, then you're a hater. You don't like the Raiders. You don't like this team. Go find someone else. 
you know, nobody's better than Carr. Carr is, you know, the second coming. And it, it, it really, it blows me away just like the vehement passion that people have for this one player that has not done a whole lot. And every year, th- this th- this group of fans continues, it seems like to me, make an excuse for why he has underperformed. Well, he didn't have I already a good know the excuse line. for this year. It's going to be a new offensive line. Well, yeah. That's what it's going to be. And then, well, you've got that. I think uh, we talked about this off air. I think the other thing people are going to point to, you're going to see it. Hear me now. Hear us now. Believe us later. No OTAs. That news just came out here about a day ago. That will be yeah, something else dumb. people will point to and say, well, you know, they didn't have their full off season together. I can tell you the third thing right now, Tyler. You want to know what it is? It's that sure. the Raiders don't have a true number one wide receiver. Which I'm going to point to then and say, what the heck was the Ruggs pick then? And people are going to say, well, he's just more of kind of a gadget player. He's just he's just somebody to take take the top off of the defense. He's not your bread and butter, tried and true kind of guy. And I'm going to go, well, what is Darren Waller then? You know, arguably, he's just a tight end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so it really it it, when when honestly. He hears when it, when he broke it down and he said, if Derek Carr were on that Ravens team, if you would have taken Joe Flacco out and put Derek Carr in there, they would have won two or three Super Bowls. To me, I've never, like, that's what I've been grasping for. That's what we've tried to explain on this podcast. And, and Matt put it in, in terms, in football terms, where it was like, yes, exactly. Look at that team. Look at Flacco. Flacco went to Denver and was terrible. Where is he now? He was a backup Uh, on the Jets, Jets. wasn't he? I don't even know where he is now. I mean, this guy won a Super Bowl. So so, uh, when he said if he were on the Ravens team that had an elite defense, who had, uh, I I know everybody hates Ray Rice now, but Ray Rice was a great running back. He had great wide receivers. He had a fantastic offensive line. Everything around him was perfect. So Joe Flacco thrived. And we've talked about the same thing with Derek Carr. So you could point to then and say, well, that, 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 that's just the reason we need defense. I agree. I think we need defense. I'm surprised. Like, we need defense for days at pretty much every level. But yeah. the point still remains, Derek Carr is not an elite quarterback. Nope. He's not an elite quarterback. The the numbers He's show. Not I terrible. don't care if you you and could show me all the top ten lists that you want, but Derek Carr standing alone is not an elite quarterback. I'm sorry. Nope. I'm gonna say it. It might it's gonna ruffle some feathers. People might be mad. You might be going, oh this this I can't stand it. I can't stand it. That's okay because. I'm not here to stroke people's egos and tell them what they want to hear. You can go. There are tons of other Raider podcasts out there that will tell you what you want to hear that love doing that kind of stuff, that love telling Raider Nation what they want to hear, that everybody's great, that this is our year, that we're one season away. That You're not going to get that here at the Behind the Eye Patch podcast. We're going to say it how no. we think it is. And so far, we've been right on the money with Derek Carr. And Matt Waldman, really with the numbers and what he presented, backed it up. And I was, when he when he made that Ravens comparison, that really was almost kind of like a light bulb moment for me. So I love that. I love that. Yeah, that was fantastic. And, and you know, I do feel bad, you know, it, 
But if he was an elite quarterback, would you make the argument that he needs a defense to win? I don't think you do. That's kind of what's coming to mind is these people are, as I'm sitting here, I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know what? All these people are clamoring. Well, if he had a top 15 defense, uh, he's a... It's always the defense's fault. Always. It's not the fact that, like, there were teams in the playoffs with terrible defenses, but elite quarterbacks. I know elite quarterbacks are difficult to find. That's why you probably hang on to Carr as long as we have, because he's not terrible, and we're not saying he is. What we are saying is that he's not elite. He is that... Like I think Matt said, a good to at like was it average good or you right. know, there was there was like two middles of averages. There was like the elites, and then there was like this kind of mediocre averagey type, which isn't terrible. They're making plays like thirty three percent of the time or something right. like that. Right. And then you've got your other guys who are just dreadful. And they're making plays maybe 25% of the time. Right. Cars in that like 33 to 50 or 33 to, I can't remember the ranges now, but he's not horrible. And we've never said that. We just have said that he needs eliteness around him to make him better. He's not going to elevate someone to a higher playing level. Right. Um, Unless you're a tight end like Jared Cook or Darren Waller, like that's, he loves tight ends. The The thing that stuck out to me um, was just that it's okay to be mediocre. Like, it, it's okay to be that. Right. I would like an elite quarterback, but you don't get, like, a Mahomes or you don't get a Aaron Rodgers or a Brett Favre or Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson or a Peyton Manning, like those guys don't, or Tom Brady, I guess I should throw him in there as well, right. as much as it hurts my soul. Um, you, Those guys don't come along no. every, you know, every year. And more often than not, we see quarterbacks taken at the, at the top of the NFL draft every year, just continually fail and right. suck. And so... You know, I don't know. I know that we're not getting a, a new quarterback, so we might as well stop clamoring for that. Uh, and we might as well clamor for improved defense, which we didn't get to talk about with Matt very, very, we didn't get to talk about defense. We talked about running backs, uh, some possible wide receivers taken later. Um, Obviously, in this draft, we're probably not looking at quarterbacks since we've got Mariota staying, we've got Peterman staying, and uh, as far as tight end goes, you could always look to upgrade. I don't think you're upgrading from Darren Waller no. uh, in the draft. I don't. Foster Moreau should be back from his knee injury this year. Yeah, uh, he's shown a which lot of I got, promise. I, you know, yeah, I don't which like I got that. crucified for saying that he wasn't going to play a big role in the offense this past year, and he didn't. Uh, because I think of that knee injury, you're just not quite back to back to your ex- explosiveness that you had prior to injury. And you've got Derek Carrier. Uh, we might add another tight end in the in the draft. You never know. Um, but uh, we talked about the wide receivers, and we talked about the running backs. 
and I thought it was a great interview. I was yeah. I was very uh, pleased that Matt would uh, take his time. Like he told us an hour, he gave us almost an hour and a half, which we're very grateful for. Uh, answered all our questions. Stellar, stellar person. Yeah. Uh, and as you mentioned, Micah, stellar way to to help support that charity. Um, to help with uh, child abuse and and things like that uh, by buying that portfolio. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, just really enjoyed it. And and again, the Derek Carr thing, you know, and we've talked about this, but it's since it's been a quick minute since we put podcasting, and we have you know new listeners with every podcast. Look, you know, we've talked about that, Tyler. You touched on it. Look, we're not getting a new quarterback right now, so so you know kind of strap in for Derek Carr. So what do we need? So that's why I'm like, okay, I was in the last draft. I was like, let's go get the a big name wide receiver. Let's, let's get this defense up and running because I'm, I don't hate Derek Carr. It's not like, I don't want him on the team anymore. It's like, okay, if this is what we're going to have, it's not like we're trying to make, uh, name some other quarterback that you're just like, this guy's, keeps failing why do keep people giving him a chance it's not like we're trying to make i don't know a, a jimmy garoppolo work or a you know i don't know throw throw another name out there um mm. uh, well gosh it feels like i sound like a horse over here it, you know hey. what it, you know what there you go let's go it's not like who's denver's quarterback what's his name drew lock yeah it's not, not like, trying to make a drew lock right work. we're not trying to fit a square peg in a round hole like you mentioned look car jared goff maybe there you go maybe jared you goff go. hits that it, it's it look Derek carr was a lot better last year i thought there were some times where it was like whoa did you see that play like he made something happen more than he has in the past. But then there were also times where it was like, what was that? And that what Matt pointed to that. And he was like, look, Carr's one of these guys, like one out of three times, he'll make, like he'll, he'll flash that brilliance. But two out of three times, it's like, oh, geez, what was that? Um, and, and, and if you're an elite quarterback, you're making that two out of three times or three out of three times, you're making that elite play. You're making something out of nothing. You're doing that Patrick Mahomes, that Russell Wilson, that Aaron Rodgers type play. We are like, what in the world was that? There was nothing available, and he just made it happen. And that's the difference between keeping a drive alive and winning by seven or winning by four or winning by three or losing by seven, losing by four, losing by three, not being in the game late in the game. So um, so, so all that to say, though, okay, let's, let's get this defense at least to a top I don't know, 18 level, you know, I'm not even asking for a lot. We've been the top, we've been like the 28th, 29th ranked defense, 30th ranked defense for, I don't know how long now, like just improve that by like 10 spots. And I think we make the playoffs last year. I mean, we were the same exact position. We were, what was it? Six and three. And it's like, holy cow. And, And once again, we had the quote unquote, easiest part of our schedule remaining and we're going we've beat the chiefs we've beat the saints like people were clamoring for 11 and 5 and and we just and what one and six again i mean we eked, yeah we eked out two more wins okay, over the rest of the season against against the quote-unquote weaker part of our schedule 
So, you know, there are so many places we can go with this, and we'll probably save some of this for another podcast. But, but again, it's, okay, we're, we've got Carr, so let's put stuff together around him so we can make him successful and make this team successful. Because we really, I mean, Tyler, we're, we're, I hate to use the term because we've been using it for 20 years, but we really are, like, right there. I mean, we're, like, two wins away from playing in January. And we've been yeah. that way for what two seasons now and it's like come on why can't we we're on we're on the doorstep and we can't ring the doorbell. Why can't we ring the doorbell? Like we get cold feet. We get stuck right. in the cement. So it's like let's uh, let's do what we need to do. We're let's roll with Carr because Carr does have those moments of brilliance. Carr can make those throws. I've seen Carr make throws. It's like, holy cow, man. Like, this is elite-level stuff. I watched him move around way better last year than he has in the past. Absolutely. But I don't – like we talked about, we'll have to see. Is Ruggs the answer? We got rid of Aguilar. Aguilar was a massive piece to this offense, a beautiful, pleasant surprise to this offense, and we let him go. Yes, and, we did. And I question that too. I'm going, why would you not spend money to keep this man in the in unless you think Ruggs is gonna be that answer? Unless you think who's our big man out of South Carolina? Um Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards. Unless you think no, Brian Edwards, he's got and, and I, I think he does have a high ceiling, but it better pay off this year. It, it all both those receivers have to come up big for the Raiders this year. They have to. And we're starting off with no OTAs, and that's just not a great start, in my opinion. So Yeah, I go. agree. It's not a great start. I know if you follow social media at all, you know that uh, Carr has been at some, uh, they want to keep it secret location in Vegas, working out with the wide receivers and tight ends and running back. Well, I've seen Alec Ingold out there. I haven't seen Josh Jacobs. But anyway, working with some of those guys, I've seen Andre James there as well. Um, but you know, it's our excuse last year was this is a young team. They, we didn't get OTAs and COVID ruined everything and they didn't have time to mesh and gel. Right. What do you think is going to happen this year when you don't have, you know, voluntary OTAs? Like same thing, you know, is probably going to happen. You're, you're not going to have that gelling effect. You're not going to, you know, you can run routes at the local YMCA all you want, but, uh, and you can play pickup games of basketball there all you want, but does that make you NBA ready? I don't know. Probably not. To me, you need, you know, be going up against defense, be going running drills as a team, at least getting chemistry together. But uh, like I said, that's why I'm just a podcaster and I sit behind a silver mic and not a gold one. But, you know, I it, it all comes back to can... It, we canned uh, what's his butt, Paul Gunther, finally last year. Right. Martinelli showed no promise as their defensive uh, coordinator, and thus now we have Gus Bradley. Can Gus Bradley take pieces that we've drafted and make them fit his scheme? Better yet, I'd love to see somebody that can take the players that we have and do help them do well what they do well, if that right. makes sense. Can, can, we, can I, we get, you know, Ngoku back to his, you know, can we get him back to form? You know, that was a big yeah. sign. That was a guy we wanted last year. 
and we didn't get yeah. him. Now we have him. Can we make something out of that? We better. Yep. Yeah, we have to. And, and you, you know, you've got Crosby coming off an injury. We heard how nasty, you know, he had quite a, a plethora of injuries that he played through last year, which is probably why he wasn't as effective. But it's right. like we had nobody else to play the D-end position anyways. So now, you know, Arden Key's been released. Uh, not super sad about that one. But Mo yeah. Hurst was released this week. I I kind of didn't understand that one. Um, yeah, he's been very effective in the, in the reps that he has gotten in games. I think, I think in like two, two ish years, he's had six or eight sacks. Like I, he's a good, he's a good defensive tackle and we let him go. Um, but I just, you know, I, I sit back and I kind of watch and, and I, I, just I don't know what like what the where the direction is headed. Right. That's the problem that I have is like what last year, you know, we're right on the cusp of making the playoffs, but this year feels like a semi rebuild. Right. We blow up the offensive line. Uh we sign a bunch of defensive tackles. I think we have like nine defensive tackles on the roster now. And it it just it doesn't makes sense to me you've right. you had like this very well playing offense now you're gonna just blow up like probably the most important part without blockers you're not going in, you're not going anywhere right and and so i i guess i just don't understand i mean it's it's i get the trent brown one i get that he didn't want to be there get his you know they got something out of nothing for that one uh, I think they got like a fifth round draft pick out of it, yeah, or something like that. Something like that. And uh, I mean, at least you get his salary off the books, and and you do save some money there. Get him out of town; he doesn't want to be there. Um, but then it's like Hudson's gone, and he's been a cornerstone for forever. And Gabe Jackson is is has been there for a long time, and he's done a good job. And, and then you, know, you let the best just, wide receiver we had there go, right? Nelson Aguilar. I mean, it does. Yep. You hit it nailed right on the head. I mean, it's like, why do I feel like we're rebuilding when last two seasons we've been almost at the playoffs, and now I feel like, like I feel like we're going to be lucky to win six or seven games this year. Yeah, looking through the schedule, I I sent you guys a tech. I think I had them at seven, and we've got an extra game this year. Right. So I mean it. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like we're doing much in the off season other than the Ngo- Ngakwe, Ngoku, whatever his last name is. Uh, it doesn't feel like we did very much rather than making splashes. We kind of blew things up. And I get that the salary cap is lower this year. I get all those things. Um, but at the same time, it's like we're, you know, every year we're allegedly just you know, we're so close, but then we just kind of blow up everything. So I don't know. I guess time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell. We'll see if we can, we talked about this too. We see if we can develop the talent that we have on the roster, which has been the problem. We have not been able to do that, which we could have a whole podcast just on that. But I think we have, yeah, We'll save that for another time, Tyler. How about that? We've got, we've got the draft a week and a half away. 
Get pumped, get excited. We will get Birch excited for the draft. He will, uh, he's probably already secretly in the closet excited about the draft. I he think just, so. He just doesn't want to admit it. Um, but come draft night, he'll be sitting there in front of the TV watching with bated breath to see if we, you know, maybe move up and, and take somebody ridiculously high. Or, you know, I saw on the Bleacher Report app, um, our fan base actually picked us to take Micah Parsons, uh, linebacker out of Penn State. Uh, and I thought, you know what? Well, you know, there, there's actually a, a good section of Raider Nation that uh, that uh, has their a good head on their shoulders, I feel like. Because I think last year they had us taking, I don't Lord knows who it was. It was it was a wacky draft pick. I thought, what in the world are we thinking? But I thought that sounds just about like what the Raiders would do. So if, yeah. if I would be. We took rugs. Yeah, yeah, when every wide receiver was on the board. Um, and we've seen, well, well, I, I, I got to be patient. You know, Matt told us, be patient. See, so I'm going to, I'm going to, Tyler. I'm going to try yep. to anyway. I have to. Right. Uh, and we'll see how that all plays out in the long run. But uh, I'd be pleased as punch if we took Micah Parsons. I'd, I'd love that pick, yep. to be honest with you. I think that upgrades the defense. And uh, I just and don't people... know if they're going to do that with the linebackers that we have already there. But yeah. But I mean, any, I mean, you can't really say that like Littleton, Kwiatkowski, and Morrow really strike fear into the hearts of many offenses. Right. That's not, you know, Morrow's more of a depth piece. I, I mean, he did really well last year. He's, he's an undrafted player. He's one of those diamond in the rough guys that you right. have to find. And we found him. But if you can add an explosive athlete like a Micah Parsons who runs a 439, and he's like 230, 240. You have to you have to pick someone like that. And people will say, "Well, Tyler, he's he's got character issues." It it was like 3 years ago. He had there was a hazing incident. I'm not saying hazing is good, but I am saying that it happens a lot and right. he just happened to get caught. So, right. you know, hazing I, happens that's like a one lot. Of, it happens a yeah. lot. It's just been until recently all of a sudden, you know, you know, I don't know. It just, I feel like all of a sudden some people have decided to make it a big issue. And all of a yep. sudden people are what I like to call fake outraged about some of this stuff. And it's like, what? Like this, come on, come on. Yeah. But anyway, no, I, and I'm sure like, you know, I'm just, I haven't ever talked to him, but in interviews, he seems like a genuine person, seems like a nice guy. I, I, I know that teams will dig deeper. Uh, I, I don't see any red flags. If he's sitting there, I'm hitting the I'm hitting the draft button as soon as I can. If yeah. Micah Parsons is sitting there at 17, I'll be happier than clam. Right. But well, you, it, it can't be any worse. I mean, we took a cornerback in the first round last year that quit football the year before. So right, you know, right, a, a guy that had a hazing incident three, four years ago. I, I'm not exactly going to be like, oh, geez, man. We're we're back at our old ways. I I just am not uh, I'm I'm not worried about that. I am worried about a guy who quit football though. Much like the defensive end uh, out of Miami, uh, who quit yeah. football for uh, physical is reasons. That the, is that Phillips? Phillips. Jalen Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. He was at UCLA and then uh, because of concussions quit football and then decided to give it another go and now all of a sudden he's like. Uh, I've seen him mock to us at 17, and I'm like, man, that just that you screams want to talk a about Raiders red pick. Flags. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, but it's it's loaded with red flags out the wazoo. And and it and it has, but like you said, it has a, a raider pick written all over it. I'm just like, no. Yeah, <laughs> slow motion, reaching for the card. No. Yeah, yeah. Do not pick up. Do not dial his number, please. Oh, maybe the second round, but you know what? If you want to try him in the second round. Sure, I don't mind that at all. But we the tried PJ Hall and Jihad Ward in the second round. It can't be worse than that. <laughs> oh jeez, oh jeez. Anyway, Tyler, do you have anything else for Raider Nation? Before no, we I, sign off? I think I think maybe we'll get another podcast out, perhaps before the uh, before the draft. Maybe we'll have to throw. We we haven't thrown down an annual mock draft session yet. No, we haven't. So perhaps we'll just. For kicks and giggles, we'll throw a quick mock draft down in, in next week or something for y'all. But uh, yeah, we I don't have anything else today. I think that we've covered pretty much everything. Well, uh, and then some. A, a little bit extra. That's how we, we always like to give a little bit extra for Raider Nation here on the Behind yes, the Podcast. Yes, we do. Podcast. Raider in Nation. everything that we do. <laughs> Once again, you want to get in on the podcast, give us a call, 208 208- Five five seven nine seven seven one. Your thoughts on the draft, on who the Raiders should pick, uh, just on the state of the Raiders, anything Raider related. Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. We'll play it back on the podcast and uh, dissect it. Talk about it. Tell you where you're right. Tell you where you're wrong. Tell you what to think. Because uh, that's just what we do here. That's why you come to us for guidance and direction, right, Tyler? That is exactly <laughs> right. I couldn't have said it any better myself. <laughs> We appreciate you guys hanging out with us this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'll catch you in the next episode. Just win, baby. 